Amen. Aren't you glad God is more a fleet of foot than we are? And when he's running after me, he can always catch me. Of course, at my age, there's a lot of people who can catch me. But God could always catch me and does. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Abundant Life Church, for being faithful to join with us on Sunday mornings in the the online atmosphere uh, of worshiping together. Um, The elders and the deacons will meet tomorrow night. We'll begin to pray and discuss uh, how and when we might uh, gather back together in this room. It will be different. It will be uh, incremental, uh, and, it, and it won't be uh, too soon, and hopefully it won't be too late, whatever that means. But you pray for the elders and the deacons as we seek the mind of Christ as to how to follow our governor's guidelines in meeting back together, and yet, even higher than that, follow the Lord's guidelines of wisdom as we we make our way back. I, just, I wanted to take just a moment to thank you and commend you, Abundant Life Church, for being diligent in, in your finances towards the church. Uh, we have not suffered during this time. As a matter of fact, we've been able to help people, continuing to help people uh, that have a time of need during this time of financial whatever, crisis, uh, unemployment, so, but I want to commend you that you have been without a lot of, of preaching and berating. I was in a meeting one time when someone took 45 minutes to receive an offering. I wish I wasn't there. But you have been faithful without all of that, without ber- me berating you or reminding you. Just thank you very much. And I just pray that God's blessing will be poured out, as the scripture says, upon your household as you are diligent and faithful. With your finances. Today, uh, we're going to talk about, and the title is today is Let's Dig Some Ditches. I have to start off by saying that in March of 1981, some of you weren't even born, almost 40 years ago, I was fortunate enough to be in a meeting in what then was Gulf Coast Covenant Church in Mobile, Alabama. Today it's Covenant Church of Mobile. And I was able to hear the late Ern Baxter share a message called Ditch Diggers Revival. Became one of his classic sermons. And by the way, you, you could Google that or search for that, Ditch Diggers Revival, Ern Baxter, and you'll find at the very least, full a full transcript of that message, and I highly recommend that you do that. This is not his message today, but this is inspired by that day that I sat there as a young man. Let's do the math. I was 26 years old, sitting, listening to Ern Baxter take this passage and mine some thoughts out of it. Now, I'm sure that some of his thoughts have made their way into this message uh, but I, I couldn't, not only could I not preach Ern Baxter's sermon, I don't know anybody 
who could preach Ern Baxter's sermon. Ern had a way of taking you way out into the universe and looking back at planet Earth and even the universe. And he had the, you had the big picture when you were done with him. I can't do that. But I pray today that the Lord speaks to us through this passage uh, that the worship team has already been all over this passage this morning. This, this passage and this teaching today will teach us that there is our part and there's God's part. Now, let me just hasten to early on to say none of this has anything to do with our salvation. Uh, the only part we have in our salvation is believing by faith. But when we walk with God, there's God's part and there's our part. And sometimes we sit around waiting for God to do his part. And God has set up his spiritual economy in such a way that he's waiting for us to do our part. And this is not uh, God helps those who help themselves theology. That's in the book of Hezekiah. Go, go look it up. Um, but this is a message that basically says to us, make room for God. Make room for God. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you have no room in you for my word. No room. Reminded me of an old TV show that some of you will remember called Make Room for Daddy. Uh, Danny Thomas. And, uh, and so we're making room for Father, our God. And we learn from this story that if good things happen... Or when good things happen, it's because God moved by his spirit. You can count on that. We read a, a verse recently that said any good thing that we have comes from God. And we should never, we should never count anything, uh, as having not come from God that's good. So I'm not going to read this whole passage in a moment. As you saw, we're going to turn to second Kings three. But I want to give you the background up to a point, and this, the background is that Jehoram or Joram in some of your versions, he's the king of Israel. He's the son of Ahab. Um, well, let me back up. His dad, Ahab, had required from Misha, king of Moab, a tribute, he'd, a taxes, or just say taxes, to be paid to him every year in lambs and cattle. And once Ahab died, Jehoram becomes king. king. Misha, king of Moab, was not nearly as afraid of his son as he was Ahab. And so he refused to continue to pay the taxes, pay the tribute. And so the king of Israel decided it was time to go, uh, go uh, uh, to war with the king of Moab. You start messing with a guy's uh, resources and provision, then you get his attention. So he enlists Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, who was one of the more righteous kings in the history of the king of Judah or the, the nation of Judah. Uh, he was allied with Ahab through marriage. We'll leave that alone. And they're, they're going to go do battle against the king of Moab. And Jehoshaphat says, which way should we go? And the king of Israel said, let's go that way. Well, that way is, goes through Edom. And so they pick up along the way the king of Edom and his army. So we have three kings. You could say we three kings of disorient. 
Because the Bible tells us they took a roundabout route for seven days. The ESV says they took a circuitous march. In other words, they were going in circles. And it's funny that they're going in circles for seven days. And once they realize that they're going in circles, the king of Israel says, what in the world is going on? Has God brought us out here just to let us die of thirst? Don't forget, it was king of Israel who said, let's go this way. He's the one that led, and yet he's complaining that God has led them out there. And yes, it is true that lost men go in circles. I have had some complain recently that I haven't used an Andy Griffith show <laughs> example in a long time. And you can't see it at home, but I got three rows of Andy Griffith show characters that I'm looking at right here. But it reminded me when Gomer Pyle and Barney Fife were out looking for Opie in the woods as they were camping by the lake. And Barney Fife, being the outdoorsman that he was, knew everything to do. And so they would march around looking for Opie. And then they, when they came upon the same limb or log laying down there, the third time, Gomer had to say something about it. Ah, that looks familiar. Of course, eventually they got out. I think maybe the, cause remember, you have these three kings, but you also have their armies. Somebody in the back of that army said, hey, I saw that rock before. I saw that tree before. We're going in circles. Here, let me give you this principle. Seeking and following God's direction takes us from circular to linear. God doesn't lead you in circles. And if you keep if you keep finding yourself back at the same place over and over and over again, dealing with the same thing over and over and over again, that's not God's direction. You've lost your way. God is linear. God, as we said last week, is taking us from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. He's, he's going in one direction. So, as I stated earlier, the king of Israel proceeded to blame their predicament on God. Don't we always do that? We make bad decisions, bad choices, go to the wrong places, deal with the wrong people. And when bad things happen, it's God's fault. Where was God in all of this? Well, the question is, where was he when you started? And so Jehoshaphat says this. Is there a prophet? Is there a prophet we can inquire of? In other words, here's what he's saying. Let's find out what God says about this deal. Let's find out about what God thinks about what's going on. We, we've, and note this, that when they began their trip, they did not inquire of the Lord. The king of Israel simply said, let's go that way. And now they're having to stop and inquire of the Lord, what they should have done to begin with. Don't miss that. And so we're going to start reading, I will as soon as I get some glasses on, in 2 Kings 3, verse 13. Uh, we take up the story when they're going down. Someone said, there's Elisha. There's a prophet close by. Note that Elisha did not come to them, but they went to Elisha. Verse 13 says, as they went to him, Elisha said to the king of Israel, 
I love Elisha. What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. In the New Living Translation, it says it this way. Why are you coming to me, Elisha? Asked the king of Israel. Go to the pagan prophets of your father and mother. Don't forget his father and mother, Ahab and Jezebel. And he's, he's basically saying, go to them, go to the people they worship, to the people they brought in. But to the king of Israel, the king of Israel said to him, no, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. He's still negative. He's still convinced that God is delivered, delivering them into the hand of, of Moab. Why did he start out if he believed that? Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. <laughs> uh, boy, I'll leave that alone best I can. But he, he, he honored Jehoshaphat's integrity. And Jim has said this three or four times already this morning. The next words out of Elisha's mouth was, but now bring me a musician. Some versions there say, bring me a harpist. Uh, bring me someone with a harp. Bring me a musician. I'm reminded in uh, Zephaniah 3.17 that says, The Lord God will rejoice over you with singing. With singing. God sings. And also in Second, First uh, Samuel, uh, when... You'll just have to deal with this yourself. The spirit, some versions say the harmful spirit from God. And so it was whenever the spirit from God was upon Saul that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well and the distressing spirit would depart from him. And for those of you who like taking notes, look up First Samuel 10.5 later on. But music has power. Music is not just something to fill in the gaps. Music is not something just to escape, but music moves things and moves, and the Holy Spirit moves by music. When David's playing the harp, the distressing spirit would leave Saul alone. And Elisha said, bring me someone to play some music. When the musician played, the Bible says the hand of the Lord was upon Elisha. Look at verse 15. When it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him and moved upon him. And then he says this in verse 16. Thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. Make this valley full of ditches. Now, if I would have been there, I'd have thought Elisha has been out in the sun too much. We're out here. We're thirsty. We think we're going to die. The king of Moab is over there. And your counsel to us is to dig some ditches. And, I, you know, the king of Israel probably wanted to react again. But let's just read on. Let's read on through verse 27. He says, Verse 17, but thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet that valley shall be filled with water, 
so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. Also, you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city and shall cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. Now, it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that the that suddenly, I'll come back to that, suddenly water came by way of Edom and the land was filled with water. When all the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against them, all who were able to bear arms and older were gathered and they stood at the border. And then they rose up early in the morning and the sun was shining on the water and the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. As they said, this is blood. And they said, this is blood. The kings have surely struck swords and have killed one another. Now therefore Moab to the spoil. So when they came to the camp of Israel, Israel rose up and attacked the Moabites so that they fled before them and they entered their land killing the Moabites. Then they destroyed the cities and each man threw a stone on every piece, good piece of land and filled it. They were marking their, their lots, so to speak. And they stopped up all the springs of water and cut down all the good trees, but they left the stones of Kir Hareseth intact. However, the slingers surrounded and attacked it. And when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too fierce for him, he took with him 700 men who drew swords to break through to the king of Edom, but they could not. And then he took his eldest son, who would have reigned in his place, and offered him as a burnt offering upon the wall. And there was great indignation against Israel. So they departed from him and returned to their own land. Yeah, I would say that would be great indignation. God says, dig the ditches. Now, there's not going to be any wind. There's not going to be any rain. But you dig the ditches that, and that valley shall be filled with water so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter. In the sight of the Lord, he will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. It's important that we believe God when God speaks. It's important that we trust him. Whether or not it looks possible. He said, no wind, no rain. So you're standing there thinking, how in the world is he going to get water to us without wind and rain? Well, we just forgot something. He's God. And so if they get into this mode of ditch digging... Here's the principle, saints. We dig the ditches and God provides the water. No ditches, no water. If they had said, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. Let's get, that's fine. Let's go hear another God. If they had refused to dig the ditches, there would have been no water. Don't forget that not only did the water provide uh, water for their animals, but it also fooled Moab into thinking that they could come and plunder. We have to understand and find out what it is that God wants us to do. Uh, Paul in First Corinthians three said, "It says Paul said I planted or I tilled the ground, I threw seeds in the ground." And then Apollos, he came after me, and the Bible says Apollos watered. 
Now, this is not providing water like God did. This is just watering the seed. I planted, Apollos watered, but in this mysterious way, we did the work, but God gave the increase or God sent the water. I planted, Apollos watered, but it's God who gave the increase. We have to understand that God assigns us things that we must do in obedience. Sometimes they don't make sense. How many of you believe God could have sent water without ditches? Absolutely could have. I mean, he flooded the earth without ditches. The important part was the obedience on behalf of these kings and these armies to do what God asked them to do. God's going to move. We pick up a shovel. God's going to move. Pick up a shovel. We are called as his kids to step into the game. Again, this has nothing to do with us earning our salvation. You can't do that. You can try that all you want. You just can't do it. You can't do enough good works to earn your way to heaven. just can't happen. But you can do enough good works to please God. And you can do enough good works to make a way for God into your life. And no matter what we do, God must get involved for our work to mean anything. And he will. And what we're doing is we're creating some space so the blessing of God, the water from God, can come and fill that space. It's the preparation to receive his outflowing of blessing that allows us to walk and live in his power. It's the blessing of of making a way. And I'll get to some of that in a moment, so just hang in there. It's the blessing of making a way in obedience, regardless of whether it makes sense or not, so that we can walk and we can live in his power. Saints, I want to tell you that there's no other way to live the Christian life. You can't just live by laws. You can't just live by precepts. You can't just live by principles. All of those are important. But without the power of God, they're just rules and regulation with no power. They won't move you. Matter of fact, they'll do just the opposite. The water truly did not come from usual sources. It didn't come from where they might have expected it to come. But it came nonetheless. Why did the water come? Because they dug the ditches. I'm sure there was some grumbling going on, but they dug the ditches. I want to just point out just a few things about water. When we think about water, first of all, water washes. Water washes and cleanses us. Another thing water does is refreshes us. I love watching Well, kids and anybody for that matter. But when I was a kid, when it started raining, yeah, we didn't have sense enough coming out of the rain. We run outside and played in the rain. You ever watch people in the rain, especially if it's been a drought or it's been a dry season and you start getting a good rain. People run outside and twirl and jump and laugh and giggle. Why? Water refreshes. In this case, it points out that water gives sustenance. In many ways, it gives sustenance to your animals, 
It waters your garden so your vegetables grow. I mean, there's a lot of ways that water gives sustenance to us. And in a, in a similar vein, water is a provision. And it brings us provision in, in from various sources. And so when he said the water will come down through the ditches, all of these things they were looking for. And so we look at the fact that ditch digging is preparation. What did God want them to do? He wanted them to prepare a place for the water. Again, he could have sent the water without that, but he wanted them dig the ditches, prepare a place, and let him provide the water even from an unusual source. Digging a ditch is creating space that we ask God to fill. Creating space that we ask God to fill. Now, I hope you believe, I believe that if we're obedient to God and we create that space, we can expect the water from God. The question we have to ask ourselves is what is really important? It's during times like these that we're going through in the year 2020 that we ask ourselves the question, so what is really important in my life? What is really important? Where should we create room for God to send his heavenly water? Where? Where in our lives should we dig ditches? Where in our lives should we create room for God? Going back to Jesus, John chapter 8, you you have no room in you for my word. We need to make room. Well, I'm going to give you just a few ideas here. The first one is what I call in the integrity of their lives or our lives. Psalm 24 reads this way. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord or the mountain of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? The answer is... He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. Now, you may think I'm saying this morning that for us to stand in God's presence and to make room for God, that we must be perfect. Well, we're all in trouble if that's true, and that's not what I'm saying. But there is a matter of integrity, and there is a matter of addressing our lives. And what does he say? He says, Who can stand in God's way? Who can stand in God's mountain in his place? Those who have clean hands. Those who have hands that are free from obstacles, distractions, and other diversionary issues. Those whose hands are not occupied with that which is useless. That's clean hands. It's not just not having dirt on your hands, but it's what occupies your hands. What have you got in your hand? In other words, what are you occupying yourself with that prevents God from handing you what he wishes? What have you got in your hand, proverbially speaking, that when God wants to present something to you, you don't have room for it because you got your hands full already with other things, other obstacles, other issues that have, have diverted your attention and your passion. What is it? 
What is it that you need to lay down that you've been holding on to tightly? How can you put your hand to the plow if they're already full? How can you put your hands to the plow and plow the field if they're full of other things, other occupations, other concerns, doubt? How can you, how can you plow the field if your hands are full of fear? You can't grip the plow. Clean hands. Dig ditches in your hands. And I think you know what I mean. But he also said a pure heart. Clean hands and a pure heart. A pure heart is an uncluttered heart. Uncluttered. Similar to the hands, except it's more internal. It's an uncluttered heart that's free from that which hinders us and paralyzes us. It's a clear heart. The Bible says so many times uh, throughout Scripture, guard your hearts. Guard your hearts. Because there is uh, an agenda by our enemy to contaminate our hearts. And I don't mean the physical muscle. I mean the, the will, the, the very being of who we are. And there's, there's, a, there's an attempt by our enemy to cause our hearts to become polluted. He's talking about not presenting our soul to uselessness. A person with a pure heart deals only in truth. They're only interested in truth. People with pure hearts are people who seek God's face. Now I'll give you this. You can just put it on your refrigerator. We leak, so we must seek. How often should I seek God? As often as you leak. Seek God's face. If you want a pure heart, and if you want a clear heart, you have to seek God. Because that's where that comes from. Another area where we can dig ditches and make preparation for God's water to come into our lives is in the hiding of his word in our hearts. In the hiding of his word in our hearts. The psalmist said, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. The, the ESV there says, I have stored up your word in my heart. I've stored up your word. I've treasured. One version says, I have treasured your word. What are you putting into your heart? What are you loading into yourself? What is it that you meditate on? What is it that you spend time thinking about? What is it that you spend time inserting into your mind and thus your soul and your heart? I think I recently, I quoted the computer term that says garbage in, garbage out. The same applies to us. If we put garbage in, we're going to get garbage out. But if we put purity in, if we put God's word, if we store God's word in our heart. He said, I've done that so I wouldn't sin against you. So I'm going to take the scripture at its word that the, to the degree that I'm able and willing to store and treasure and hide God's word in my heart to that same degree, I will not sin against God.
Paul writes in Ephesians about Christ's relationship with the church that he might sanctify and cleanse her, the church, with the washing of water by the word. Washing of water by the word. Make preparation. Make room. Dig ditches in your life so that there's room for God to send the washing of the water to you by his word. If you have not hidden his word in your heart, then it's going to be tough for him to do that. Another thing, and I I could spend more time here, but I'm just going to say prayer. Spend time digging ditches in your prayer. Uh, And prayer is engaging with God. Prayer is not just, Lord, listen, this is what I want. Lord, listen, this is what I want you to do. Uh, Lord, no, prayer is engaging with God. And part of prayer, saints, listen to this. Part of prayer has to be hearing what God says. we got to be quiet long enough to hear what God says to us. It's a two-way street. It's communicating with God. It's fellowshipping with God. It's, it's understanding and knowing God. The reading of the scriptures and praying gain their power when God inhabits them. And he does inhabit them as well as the praises of his people. There's power when you engage with God. There's power when you read his scriptures and engage with God. And he will inhabit in power those things. When you have made room, you've dug ditches in your life with prayer. And then there's the matter of relationships. I forgive you and please forgive me are great means of digging ditches. We can make preparation in our lives for the water of God to come into our lives by by just taking that first step. I forgive you. That's, That's a good start to digging some ditches. Please forgive me. You dug some, you've made some preparation. And when you do that and anything like that, God begins to pour out his Holy Spirit. He begins to pour out his water into that ditch that you have made of preparation. And we sit around and we want God to do it. We want God, you work on that other person. Tell them to come talk to me. Nope. God says you dig the ditches. You make the preparation. Gathering with God's saints in any configuration is a means of digging ditches. Because Jesus said, for where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. I am there. There's there's a place when you gather, and I pray that we'll be able to gather and Soon, in the way we want to. But when you gather with two or three of his saints, Jesus said, I'll be there. You have dug a ditch. You have made a preparation. You have made room for Jesus to show up. And Jesus said, I will. He didn't say, I might. He didn't say, if I feel like it or I don't have anything better to do, I will be among them. You want God's presence? You don't have to, you don't have to be in a room full of people. It's nice to, but you don't have to. Just two or three. 
just just two or three. And then notice this, that God moved. Once they did what God asked them to do through the prophet Elisha, once they did what he said, dig the ditches, God moved. But notice this, God moved suddenly. Most of the time, we sit around and wait for God, and we pat our foot, and then about the time we decide he's not going to do anything, boom. And we think he's late. I'll just tell you this, God's never late. I'll also tell you this, he's rarely early. He's almost never when we think he should show up. But he moved. He moved among them. He did what he said. They woke up the next morning and there was water coming down those trenches. And it provided several benefits for them. And they gained the victory. God showed up. They gained the victory. They defeated the king of Moab. Actually plundered the land. So here's what I want to ask you today. I'm going to ask you the same thing in two different ways. What areas or areas in your life do you need to dig some ditches? You've been thinking about it all morning. Well, at least while I've been talking. What area or areas do you need to dig some ditches in your life? And in other words, where is the preparation you need to make to provide room for God to send his water into your life? I've identified some areas in the integrity of our life, in, in the hiding of God's word, in prayer, in relationships. There are many, many others areas that we could, that we could address. And some of you have thought of areas in your life while I've been talking that I didn't mention. And that's because God mentioned them. He speaks louder than I do, by the way, just in case you didn't know that. Whatever that area is and whatever those areas are, I ask you to address them. I ask you to examine yourself and make sure you haven't closed off God's access to your heart. You see, God will tell you to scoot over. But he won't, he won't make you scoot over. God will tell you that I, I'm going to sit on the throne, but he won't, he won't remove you from the throne so that he'll have a place to sit. But you and I, we can dig the ditches and we can make the preparation and we can expect God to move with his water, with his power, with his presence. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, every one of us that have been looking at these scriptures and hearing your voice, we all know areas in our lives where we should be digging ditches. We should be making preparation. Lord, we repent and ask for your forgiveness for those times that we have closed off our hands. We've closed our our hands to a fist to keep you from giving us and doing with us what you want. We pray today that you would examine every heart and help us to examine every heart and that we could repent and allow your work in our hearts and in our lives. And wherever you have revealed to us today that we need to make adjustments, wherever you have revealed to us today, Lord Jesus, 
areas where we need to make preparation for your Holy Spirit to move in our lives. We pray that not only you identify those areas, but that you give us the grace to make the move. You give us the grace to pick up the shovel and begin to dig. And then we, with with, uh, expectancy and hope, trusting in our faithful God, we will watch as you send the water. Send the water, O God. We thank you for this time together. I thank you for these watching online uh, in, in church together. And I pray today, as we have prayed already, that your kingdom would come, your will would be done on earth like it is in heaven. And we would see it with our eyes. I thank you for this time together and your visitation by your Holy Spirit. And I thank you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining again today. And we'll see you next time. Good day.